do we do two things. You go indoor vertical farming. You get rid of all the movement of the products from from Spain to England or California to New York, right? All the movement, and you use an organic source nitrogen. You will instantly reduce the carbon footprint of the entire world. Imagine getting rid of 15% of the natural gas of the world usage. Hello and welcome to Rethink What Matters, the podcast dedicated to aligning the economy with the ecology and everyone for improved business performance, stronger families and a greener, cooler planet. And today I'm joined by Zale Tabakman in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, US of A from local grown salads. And we're gonna be discussing indoor vertical farming. Uh, Zale is the president of the local grown salads and their vision is to feed the world healthy food that is grown sustainably. So welcome, Zale. Well, thank you for having me. It's very exciting. So if actually, if we could just tell us a little bit about, to start off with, local grown salads. Okay, so I, we'll, I'll keep it very simple because I'm sure we're going to get into some of the details. But essentially, uh, we are a technology company that has indoor vertical farming technology. So we create indoor vertical farms. Um, we either private license, label them or license them. So it's kind of a whole business thing. But essentially... Paul says, hey, I want to get into indoor vertical farming. I don't want to be a farmer. I'm really just a businessman. I want to, I want to be in the business of food. So you'll buy your technology. It'll be turnkey. We, you'll, you'll never really learn how to grow. You'll learn, never learn how to grow basil in your backyard, but you'll know how to grow local grown salads, basil, arugula. We sell microgreens. We sell herbs. We sell greens. We smell, sell small vegetables. Our idea is to have indoor vertical farms everywhere so that we're 15 minutes from the consumer meaning that your farm will be wherever consumers are living there'll be no virtually no transportation or you can even deliver via bicycle from the farm to the people it's by moving everything local you get rid of the shipping in, in north america you know americans tend I'm, I'm a canadian so we can make fun of americans today yeah. but um as a uh, in america they think that they grow their own their own uh, vegetables but in reality um, in the United States, is United States, they're separate states. So you have California, Arizona, and Mexico as a key. Um, well, Mexico is a different country, but Arizona, Mexico, and even Texas, they grow the veg, they grow vegetables, and it gets shipped to uh, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Chicago, Detroit. You're shipping as you're shipping actually farther from Spain than Spain is from England. You know, for Spain to England, you think a big thing, but you yeah. know, so. I'll, Tremendous amounts of of the growth of uh, the tremendous amounts of the carbon footprint of farming, and we're talking in vegetable space, is all just the movement of the vegetables from one place to another. If you can get rid of that movement, you can do an immediate fifty percent reduction in the far carbon footprint. Brilliant! That's a, such an interesting insight, isn't it? So if, great. So if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, then Zale, and how you came to be involved with indoor vertical farming and the business. Uh, okay, this is like, I'll tell you the short story, not the long story. The short okay. story is, um, 
I was a, uh, I am, I was a divorced father with five kids and they were all teenagers. And I was very big. I'm not a vegetarian or anything. I'm just like a normal guy, but I went in our family. It was always big to have salads and vegetables always growing on, on our desk, on our table at dinner time. Um, and so what happened was I, you know, I, the kids would go back and forth between their mother and me, and it was back and forth half the time. All kind of normal kind of stuff. No, no big story there. There was these kids, right? And at the same time, I was riding my bicycle. Now, in, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a Canadian, and when I was riding my bicycle, um, I happened to notice all these large buildings in Toronto. Toronto looks like London, looks like New York. It's big, huge buildings. Um, at the same time, I was doing this um, technology consulting that's specific to Canadian Canada, and I had two different interesting customers. I had one that was a a um, company that would manufacture 3,000 sandwiches a day. So they would actually be manufacturing sandwiches and sell them in hotels and stuff like that. And the chef there was telling me that the problem was they could not get certain vegetables at certain times of the year. So they always had to swapping in, swapping out. And I learned that in Canada, we import about 85% of our food. Like we mentioned earlier in England, like New York, everybody else, every food, most food is imported. And then at the same time, I had another client who was putting air into water, which is called oxy, 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 uh, dissolved oxygen. And they were telling me the entire business of how much money was being made in the food business. So I had these three things. I had to feed my kids, right? So it's a very personal thing. I had these two clients, one that had wasn't getting vegetables, and another one that was telling me all about how much money there was in the vegetable business. I, and I'm riding my bicycle around. I'm seeing these cities. I said, well, why the hell aren't we growing vegetables on the roof of our buildings, right? right. Instead of importing. Obvious yeah. stuff, right? I'm not the first person to think of that. Right. Uh, but then when I started to do the math, it turns out you couldn't make any money. So the right. next thing was, well, I could, but, but when you did the math, the way they, they I'm always, I always turn terms into dollars and cents. You couldn't make enough money because you couldn't get enough volume or yield on a per square foot business basis on the roofs of the business. But right. what if I just said, oh, if I can make $3 a square foot, what if I could just go up high? I can make, and then, you know, we all have a friend in Google. I started searching it. And I realized, oh, I'm not the first guy to do it. We went out, we bought some technology. We tried the technology and it was very expensive and it really didn't work very well. And I said, oh, I could do this easier. And about a million dollars of R&D later, we figured out how to do it. Now we have a patent pending on our technology in Canada and the United States. And we're now rolling out farms, Philadelphia, South Carolina, Calgary, Jamaica, a whole bunch of other places as well. What's the need that you're meeting and where you are selling them? Is it that there's a lack of space or not enough food or why are your customers <laughs> buying it? I mean, do they oh, just... uh, because our, our product is fresher, better. So um, okay. let's let's take the American model or the uh, when you transport food, uh, the instant you harvest a vegetable, it starts to die and the quality goes down. And there's a whole bunch of things that people do to, to adjust that. But but the instant you, you do that cutting, it what happens is waters or the, the juices of the water inside the vegetable start to leak out and, and you okay. have problems. So a, veg, a fresh vegetable and a three-day-old vegetable do not taste the same. But if you think, to take the simple model of Philadelphia, stuff is coming from California, Arizona, and Mexico. It's being shipped on a truck. It's going to take yeah, three yeah. or four days to get there. All of a sudden the product we're selling is not nearly as fresh. Um, okay. the, 
the secondary thing, which is a very important thing, and I think it's going to go to some things that your re, your listeners care about, is everything in California, Arizona, and Mexico are covered in pesticides. Even if it's organic, it's still going to use an organic, it's going to have some sort of pesticide. When we do indoor vertical farming, we don't use any pesticides, fungicides, or herbicides. There's nothing on it. It's just right. pure vegetable. Um, so the freshness, meaning that we can harvest and deliver within two hours, means that that the product tastes better. The shelf life is that much longer and extended. Yeah. And the, the other very big thing is we can have a wide variety of products that we can sell and grow that you put that typical uh, uh, aren't typically available in the stores. Okay. All right. That's another another differentiator then, isn't it? They can get a variety of foods that otherwise they might not be able to. And, and it's fresher because it's closer. So, uh, yeah, I can absolutely see. Now, you mentioned or, organic there then. Um, and, and is that what customers are wanting now? They, you know, you now, they're wanting now. this to be organic and local and fresher. People talk about organic, but they really... Um, so I, let's break down what, quote, organic is. Now, I'm a, a pro-organic guy in general. So let's, let's don't... Anything I say, don't take it as a negative, but you need to understand in the fruit... fruit and, in the vegetable market, you need to understand what organic is. First thing is, you know, the big the big bugaloo is GMO, right? A gen, a gen, a genetically modified things. Most, yeah. almost, there is virtually no GMO vegetables. There are wheat and the wheat, rice, pulses, you know, the big things. But like your tomatoes, there are a few GMO tomatoes, but generally it's not a common thing. Cucumbers, arugula, like it's not even an issue. But to be organic, you need to be GMO free. Okay, so it's not a big thing, but if you ever see it on a, you ever see a stamp, don't worry about it. The second thing is that the seeds, of course, need to be not having uh, the pesticides and the herbicides and the fungicides, the kinds that are used. When you're organic, they're organic based, except if you can't get one, then you're allowed to use a chemical one and you're still allowed to have that organic stamp on it. That's so, bad. This just, but it practically, um, I'm, a, I'm a practical guy. You need that because if you don't have those things, you're gonna people don't want to eat vegetables that have holes in it that are eaten by insects, right? right. Okay. So that's kind of neat. and the fungicides, and you, so you need them. And then the next level of organic is, of course, where the seeds came from. Were were they grown? Were the seeds grown in, in that the plant was grown from? Were they grown from an organic field? So that's another right. level of organic, which practically doesn't really make a lot of sense difference but it's, it's something that you need to care about and yep. the third the, but ultimately be, the most important thing is what is the source of the nutrients or the fertilizers that are being used for growing the plant and you can talk about there's eight major ones and there's eight minor ones but reality is the, the most important one and this is one you're going to love paul that people don't know about is nitrogen nitrogen yeah yes yes yeah, okay so nitrogen is there's organic source nitrogen and there's non-organic source nitrogen. Non-organic source nitrogen comes from natural gas. What they do is they, they take natural gas, they burn natural gas, and that captures the nitrogen from the air and puts it in, into a form that the plants can use. 15% right. of the world's natural gas is used to create nitrogen. So you burn natural gas 15%. So if we move, so forget everything else, right? For, uh, two, we do two things. You go indoor vertical farming, 
you get rid of all the movement of the products from, from Spain to England or California to New York, right? All the movement. And you use an organic source nitrogen, you will instantly reduce the carbon footprint of the entire world. Imagine getting rid of 15% of the natural gas of the world usage. If you grow soy, process soy, it becomes it can be used as a nitrogen source. There are other natural sources, but that's that's the one that we particularly like. And it's easy, so you just grow soy. The soy can be grown organically or non-organically. It doesn't really matter, remember, because we're now taking the nitrogen. When you process it, you pull the nitrogen out of the soil, you lose all the pesticides and everything else. You know, talking about nitrogen, I understand that one of the issues with nitrogen is that some of these fertilizers have too much nitrogen. It just leaches out into the waterways and gets into everyone's water. And so I, I'm, I'm, Zale the nerd is going to touch in on you. You said there's too much nitrogen. There isn't actually too much nitrogen. The problem is for your typical. I, I, first of all, I'm a. I like to be a very positive guy. Okay, so I, I don't want to point fingers and say anybody's doing anything wrong. No. Okay, so so please take it this way. I am a typical farmer. I'm not making a lot of money, right? Farmers do not make large amounts of money, no matter what you read, okay? Um, so I have a field and I need to fertilize it, right? So I know I have this field and it needs X amount of pounds of fertilizer, right? Nitrogen. Let's just focus in on the nitrogen. It needs X pounds of nitrogen for it to grow. If I wanted to generate 100 pounds of a plant matter, I need you know half a pound of, of, fertile, of nitrogen to get that 100 pound of plant matter. Great, nice simple number. And so I can just spread 100 pounds. But then all of a sudden it rains, right? The plant, the nitrogen doesn't get spread properly. Blah 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 blah. So I I don't get enough nitrogen. I don't. I put out nitrogen, but and not enough nitrogen will get me the half pound I need for my plants. The, the plants don't get that half pound because of the rain. It washes it away. It gets whatever uh, a weed takes part of it, you know, all this other stuff. So me as a farmer, I need to, I only make the money if I sell the 100 pounds of plant matter. I then put two pounds of nitrogen in there to make sure I get that half a pound of nitrogen. Um, which means that then it, it soaks in, and of course, then the nitrogen flows into the, the water table. The water table it, it eventually gets into the lake, and you get those things called algae blooms, and you get all that other crazy stuff. Again, if we use indoor vertical farming, yeah. we don't have any loss of nitrogen. They, we put it into our system. It's a closed system. The nitrogen right. goes right into the plant. We don't get any of those other bad things. Yeah, you know, sometimes I do these podcasts and there's so many great wins on what people are doing. And this sounds like a, another one of those, actually. Yeah. It ticks, it ticks a lot of boxes. Um, and you've got year-round production as well because it's it's like a greenhouse, I guess, isn't it? So, no, God forbid. No, God that's forbid. a swear word in your world. That's a your swear word, yeah. <laughs> a, a green, okay, so a greenhouse, um, which we all know and was actually invented in England and you know was a, an English invention, um, what it does is it encloses, encloses the environment, and, but it uses natural light. Right. And so the, the greenhouse, it's called, it's green inside, and it looks like a house. But, you know, we use a, the typical term is a glass house, sometimes it's called, because it okay. used to be the panels of glass, but now they're a, a polycarbonate. Um, but what happens is the light comes from the sun. In right. an indoor vertical farming, the light comes from LEDs. So All we're right. in a basement. We're okay. in a old... You have an old building that was built, let's say, in 1940s, oh, and okay. it's got very low ceilings. We reuse, we actually reuse buildings. 
You're so inside. It, 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 we're inside reusing ah. buildings. So okay. I, 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 I can speak to the United States. The United States had, you know, had its great industrial industrial play 18 you know 1880s to about the 1950s right or 1970s yeah. and then stuff started going off share so you have all these old buildings that were great factories they're totally all in in the core of many of the united states old cities they're sitting empty like we're right. talking hundreds of thousands of square feet of buildings right. that are just abandoned we can put indoor vertical farms in those old buildings and all of right. a sudden we can re we can reuse the existing building and the you know the buildings themselves have you know concrete and they're the bones are very very good yeah they don't have any yeah. windows you know you need to fix them up and stuff like that yeah. you can rip out all the old stuff and use the core of the building for an indoor vertical farm another yeah. win for indoor vertical farming brilliant oh, i hadn't appreciated that that's uh... in, in england actually there's a few people that are using old um coal caves for indoor vertical farming or old uh, tunnels that were used as part of the subway system, I think in, in London, right. so, some folks have done that as well. It sounds uh, it sounds like it might be quite a technical thing though. I'd imagine the amount of um, expertise somebody has to have to, you know, to run one of these. You, oh, you oh well, I think. So we, we break our indoor vertical farms into the way I look at the world of indoor vertical farming. I look at it, I have a daughter and she lives in a condo and she ordered some lights from Amazon and she ordered some seeds and some ordered some trays and grows in her condo, in her house without a problem, you know, waters it by hand, no automation, yep. no nothing. So that's indoor vertical farming and she's doing it and she has no expertise. And she says, daddy, blah, blah, blah. But you know, we all have a friend in Google. So we could, it's yep. not a big, if you want to do that in your home, no brainer really easy to do um the next level is people who want to go commercial so at the commercial level that's where we come in there are two levels of commercial again you go to you know home depot you go to amazon you order there's a whole bunch of great websites online where you can buy all the technology you can figure everything out and learn how to figure out how to do it and use it and that yep. requires a, that requires some engineering not not an engineering degree, a level of engineering, but some level of understanding of water, heat, okay. hydro, you know, all the kind of, I, I, a person that knows how to put that kind of stuff together requires that. And then you need an expertise on uh, agronomy, a little bit of, you know, more than your backyard gardening kind of level, okay. but not much. Right. So um, I, at my level is we just give you a, a, a solution with a turnkey. We expect you to understand how to run a business how to do marketing, how to do sales. Yeah. We'll, we'll tell you how to do those, give you advice, but you need to know how to go out and make a customer, how to send an invoice, how to pick up an invoice, how to hire people, how to schedule yeah. people. From a technical point of view, you just follow our instructions. Gotcha, gotcha. So you're inside, so you haven't got the sunlight. Does that imply that you're going to be using quite a bit of energy then? Yeah. Uh, we do use energy. We're extremely effective with our energy usage. Um, in reality, the... Our biggest cost is people um, and it's use of and hiring people and using people for harvesting and that kind of stuff. I, I suppose I wasn't thinking so much about, I mean, obviously the expense is an issue because that will get have to get passed on. But I was thinking more along the green side of things. But there is obviously green electricity about if you have a solar panel or two nearby. Sure. Yeah, um, we we don't. Um, it's sort of thinking that I, this, at that level, I think you should think of us as like an electric car. If yeah. I have an electric car, you don't expect me to have solar. You, you may or may not expect if I live in a condominium, you don't expect me to have solar panels on my roof. Right. right. If I lived in a home, 
hey, you know, why don't you why don't you put solar panels on your roof? Um, so can you grow all types of crops like this or any certain types of crops? So so we we focus on microgreens, greens, herbs and small vegetables. We don't do watermelons. We don't do mushrooms. We don't do onions. But uh, we could grow. We could grow. Well, mushrooms are a totally different thing, but we could grow onions. We could grow potatoes. But this is not it right now. We don't see it as a profitable enough to use our technology for that. Um, microgreens have the biggest, largest margins. We're talking margins of, you know, 80, 90 percent. Um, herbs have margins around 60, 40 to 60 percent. Uh, greens have a margins of 25 to 40 percent. And then small vegetables have a margins around 5 to 10 percent. And you, if you're inside, you haven't got all the bugs and the insects and the pests all wandering around. So in one way, that's good. But is it bad in another way for pollination and? Uh, for pollination, we use a toothbrush. <laughs> okay. and anybody who, who's a, a gardener knows about taking taking a little toothbrush and just moving. It. And then, of course, some of many of the the only things you worry about pollination for are the small vegetables, so cucumbers, the beans, the green, you know, those kinds of things. And right. some and some types are self pollinating and some aren't. So you just, but it's just really moving around. Some people use electric bees. Some people actually have a beehive in their in their uh, facility. There are certain types right. of bees that you can you can have them, and you just you have to be careful. But people you do use bees or other types of insects for pollination. It's possible then to have year-round production of of any type of. Uh... Exactly, that is one hundred percent what we do. We, right. we that's a sell, that's another selling. I you know remember at the beginning I was listing all those selling things. That I you know at some point I had to stop. Yeah, no, you have to get them all out. Let's, we want all all the benefits out there, you know? Right. And but, more, more efficient with water. Yep, 98% of the water. So when you bring water into our systems, um, you bring water in. Plants are 85% water. In, in farming systems, the reason they use so much water is plants do a thing called transpiration. Um, they basically sweat. And when they're sweating... They let off the uh, they let off the water, but letting off that water sucks up the water from the root level and brings in the nutrients. So that's how the plants feed. They feed by their sweating. Right. Um, anybody's walked into any kind of greenhouse or horticultural place, you know, you you feel the the humidity in that, and that's that's okay. sweating. So it's but we well so we so we capture the water in the dehumidifier and just feed it right back into the system. Is it an advantage to have it inside in these buildings? Could you do exactly the same thing, but outside and use some sunlight as well? Or is it the control that really makes it work? Uh, uh, our, our particular technology physically could be used outside, but as soon as you go outside, you'd have to have the pest. You, you, inside, you, you mentioned something and you kind of said it very quickly, but it was a really important point. When you're inside, you keep out all the pests. You keep out the insects. You keep out the things. So we don't need pesticides. We don't need fungicides. We don't need herbicides. Yeah. As soon as yeah. you go outside, you got to keep – how do you get rid of all those insects on your vegetables and eating your crop? Uh, so who, who are the um... – who generally are the customers that are buying the product from the indoor, indoor vertical farms? Are they the supermarkets or they tend to be? Uh, so so smaller I, I, I break the market into um, the, the big ones are the distributors and the regular distributors, right? So the, the Cisco's, the GFS's, all the big, big players, the, are they? The, yeah. the normal, the normal infrastructure. Um, yeah. Uh, sells to that the the retailers um, a lot of them are are now having 
are, are setting them aside because my a lot of my competitors are much more expensive than I am. So they're a higher premium product. They consider a premium product. We as a company like to go through the existing infrastructure. So we go through the existing distributors. I personally, Zale, I'm an incredibly big believer in CSAs, community supported agriculture. So that means Paul sets up a business. He connects up with a whole bunch of different farms. He collects from local grown salads. He collects from Bob, Bob's potato farm, puts it all in a box and starts delivering once a week to people's homes. I believe that CSA will be the future of farming. Because again, yeah. you, you, the more, the less people in the value chain that you take out of the chain, the, the better the carbon footprint. The, yeah, the, really. this, yeah, so CSA is the future, but, but in a, the simple answer to your question is it's just the regular distributors and the regular stores and the regular people are buying. And the people that are buying these, uh, the entrepreneurs that are taking you up on this business, what sort of backgrounds do they have? Do they tend to have an interest in gardening? And or well, on... uh, one, one guy, uh, uh, our a guy in South Carolina, Hardy Greens, the guy the is an he's an electrical engineer. Right. He's an entrepreneur, an electrical engineer, um, and that's his whole he, – he, he doesn't care about the farming part of it. He just looks at it as a business, and he sees yeah. it he, – he, he is a very – I mean, a very cool guy. Um, but he sees it as the future, and he says, I want to be in this, and I want to be the guy leading the future. Um, we yeah. have another guy in, uh, that we're working with in Calgary, Canada, and that particular guy uh, was in the um, – was a sales guy. His whole background was sales and selling to restaurants and people like that. So he understood the market of right. restaurants and foods and retailers and stuff like that. Right. None right. Neither guys have no technology. Well, the electrical engineer, but but that's you know electrical engineer kind of idea. Okay. What is what's the what's the maintenance like and the day to day maintenance of of one of these indoor vertical farms? Is it quite? Yeah, I can't imagine whether it, I'd be very busy with it or it's really going to run itself. Uh, most of it runs itself. It it is like any other quote factory unquote. There's equipment that needs regular maintenance. Um, our our equipment is integrated with a, an incredibly complex software system that actually right. captures data all the way from seed to customer's plate. So we we rely heavily on software and engineering. But it's like any system; it needs to be maintained. There are sensors that say, "Hey, things are going great," but if you know, pump breaks, you got to replace the pump. If, uh, you know, a piece of electronics go down, you got to replace the electronics. If somebody yeah. left the door open and you have insects get in, you have to deal with it. Um, yeah. But most of the work is really just harvesting. And yeah. uh, we we use these things called seed cartridges, which is so the 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 far the our farmers don't ever actually do any seeding or planting. We provide them this, the seeds and the the grow media, which is a soil type thing, and the nutrients is in a, in a physical cartridge and they have to install that cartridge. So right. let's say, you know, things like the the greens, uh, the, sorry, the herbs, you know, these cartridges are replaced every two years. Our goal is to replace them every two years. When you're doing something like greens, like uh, lettuces, a kale or something like that, they get replaced every six months. And then when you're doing the small vegetables, they, you, you grow the vegetables, you harvest them, and then you have to replace the the cartridge so that'd be every two to three months okay. um so there's that kind of work but that no more work or complicated than running a mcdonald's franchise 
Because it comes with a manual by the sounds of it, or some description. Oh, it comes with manual and training, and 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 we we one of our things is remember we talked about having an unlimited number of vegetables, right? Yeah. Remember, so each one has its own story. The way you harvest basil is not the way you harvest dill, which is not the way you harvest pay, pay, uh, parsley. Even though you have to harvest them and use a pair of scissors, how you go about it is is quite a bit different. And then you got the packaging piece, and you know, it's all that other kind of right. regular business stuff. I know from doing a previous podcast on food waste that, yeah, something like 20 or 35% of food waste is actually, you know, with the farmer on the farmer side of things. Yeah, we essentially have zero food waste. Um, we, when you grow the, we, we as local grown salads, we use primarily a cut and come again process, which any gardener will know what I'm talking about. For, for the non-gardeners, that means, you know, you grow the lettuce, you plant the seed, lettuce seed, you grow it, you harvest the canopy, the lettuce leaves, and then you come back two weeks later and they regrow and you harvest again and harvest again. Typical, right. so I, I'm getting actually into food waste in a way that you probably did, weren't thinking about it. You were just thinking that, you know, you harvest the lettuce and it just gets, so it doesn't get ever sold to or eaten by anybody. But um, we grow for what the customer wants. So there's virtually no waste and we can let it grow a little bit bigger, a little bit longer for the customers. But right. another way we reduce the waste is all the root system of the plant. So a typical lettuce in a field farm or a greenhouse, they'll harvest the whole thing. They don't do cut and come again. So what right. we do is by using cut and come again, um, all the energy that's used to build the root matter, which is usually 50% of around 50% of a plant is not is gets to be reused with the second harvest. So, right. so, so you, you know, you grow, you, so just, I, I get complicated to make it simple. You put a hundred, you put, you know, X, X energy into building the root system. And then when you harvest the entire plant, 50% of the energy to, 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 to grow that plant is wasted when you harvest the roots. But if you plant it, you grow, you grow the plant and then you harvest it again and again and again, all that energy that's used for the root matter becomes reused, is not wasted and gets, it becomes a less, a less poor part of the, of the entire growing system. That was wow. a very long complex for something that's pretty simple. Yeah, quicker to grow. You know, food in the way that you're doing it with these indoor vertical farms. So typically, typically half half the length of time that would be in a field or a greenhouse. Right. Amazing. So more cycles, more cycles, and as we develop our technology and we get better and better at controlling the environment, we expect it to get back. Think about um, the cut and come again. Is anybody who's got a lawn, right? Yeah. They know in the summertime, you know, in in May they're cutting it once a month. They cut it once in May and June, and then in August they're probably they could be cutting their lawn once a week, right? right. That's the same concept of uh, cut and come again. And are there any, you know, do you, are there any regulations and laws and policies and you know, that you yes. have to comply yes. with? Yeah, tons and tons and tons. Okay. Um, you have, you know, you have food handling. Um, you have the core of there, there's one policy that's very interesting uh, that people don't really aren't aware of. It's called recall. Um, we have to build our entire system so that we can make an instant recall within 24 hours of any yeah. products we have. But okay. In general, you never use the recall system, right? Like Cheerios has a recall if there was a bad box of Cheerios, but probably nobody in their entire life have ever 
thought about having their recall Cheerios recalled. But Cheerios right. has an entire system to allow you to, that involves from all the way from General General I think General Mills makes Cheerios General Mills to the distributors to the retailers to even you. And yeah, so that you can, and, and every box has a little number on it that says well, this lot number needs to be recalled. So yeah. that, that every, if you think about recall as the core, kind of the essence of the whole thing, then there's yeah. a whole ton of stuff that fits around that. That's a lot of work to get that all done, as you say, and to get it implemented and, and, it's never, and hopefully never used. More and more, what I'm trying to do now, Zell, is re relate what uh, we're talking about in these podcasts to the sustainable development goals. Um, and this seems to fit very well with SDG 12, uh, responsible consumption and production. We, um, when you really get into the SDGs, they, they have a whole bunch of very detailed uh, requirements of what it means when you contribute to them. Um, so let's just indoor vertical farming fits so many of them. First of all, right. by being local, um, it means that you, you totally reduce the amount of of carbon footprint of transporting the food from one place to another. Yeah. Um, when you think about the food supply chain, what happens is a, a farmers grow things anticipating what the market will be. And there's actually something like 25 to 30% of food waste that happens at the farmer level. To, you know, again, it's a very bunch dependent on the particular uh, crop we're talking about. But there could be upward from 10 to 40% to waste of product that just doesn't meet the market requirement. So, right. you, so you're reducing waste at that point. Indoor yeah. vertical farming um, actually reduces the cycle time for growing. So something that may take six weeks uh, to grow in a field will take three weeks in an indoor vertical farm. So we, we can actually grow for what the customer anticipates and wants. And of course we'll grow a little bit more in case you know demand is higher. Yeah. But if a customer doesn't want our product, we can just let it grow a little longer. So the basil yeah. get a little taller. We get a little, and then when, when we have a customer for it, we can harvest it at that point. So we have a much much better control on product that that's gonna actually make it to the marketplace. And there's right. much less waste because there's no pesticides, um, there's no insects inviting it. We don't have to worry about weather patterns and a whole mm -hmm. bunch of other stuff. And of course, so it's just some examples of how uh, we contribute to SDG 12. I actually have a whole paper on how we contribute to 14 of the 17 uh, SDGs. Zell, uh, I really want to thank you very much for your time, um, you know, on this podcast and sharing your insights and your knowledge on what is going to be, has to be a real, you know, growth market ahead. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, get in contact with you, what's the best way if they want to learn more about what it is you're doing? Well, I have one of those names that are really unusual. So I, I recommend simply going on to LinkedIn. Z, if you're in the United States, it's Z-A-L-E. And if you're in the rest of the world, it's Z-A-L-E. Yeah. For us Canadians, English, Australians, and normal English speakers. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, thanks again. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, bye. Bye-bye.